As I told the children, my name is Bradley Barnes. Uh, my wife, Mita and Louisa, are with me today. Um, it was 21 years ago. Uh, this season, Christmas season, uh, I think it was December the 18th, that we moved into our apartment at Gordon-Conwell thinking that we would stay in New England for about three years and not a day longer and then head south. And uh, 21 years later, we have not headed south. We've headed six miles to the west, uh, Newton, Massachusetts. And uh, we have been here for 21 years. That means this is the longest place I've ever been in my life. And so if you ask me where I'm from, I have to say here. And, and when I say here, I don't mean here generally. I think what I mean is here. I'm from here, Christ the King Church in Cambridge. As Joe would love to point out to me, you don't sound like you're here. And I go, yeah, I know. The accent never followed. It stayed south. But this is home. And it's a huge joy to be with you on this day after Christmas. So I want to say to you, Merry Christmas. And look at this text with me, if you would, because it's all about joy. It's all about everything that we have said about Christmas. It's from this passage. Look, the central idea of this passage is this. Jesus, the light of the world, illuminates the Father and simultaneously exposes the hearts of all humans. Let me tell you again that main central theme. Jesus, the light of the world, illuminates the Father and simultaneously exposes the hearts of all humans. I think that this is what you and I, what we need to take from this passage, is this. We ought to joyfully follow Jesus, the light of the world. It's easy. You go, that's good. Can we be done? Let's go to the supper. Hang on. There's a lot here that I think will really feed you because it's really fed me this week. The context of this main theme is this feast called the Feast of the Booths. And even though a couple of you raised your hands and you realize what it is, I'm going to tell you anyway, because I learned a lot about what it is this week. Feast of the Booths, Festival of the Booths, as, as you know, is Sukkoth, if you are from Newton, and many of your Jewish friends actually celebrate Sukkoth. And it is the erection of booths in your yard or on the top of your house if you were in, in Israel and in Jerusalem of the day. And it is to commemorate the time when God took his people from Egypt through the wilderness and met their needs until he brought them into the promised land. It is, of all Jewish holidays, the most joy-filled holiday that there is. My wife, who loves Christmas, would have loved this holiday if she had celebrated this holiday. One of the ancient rabbis was quoted by saying, if you have ever experienced, or excuse me, if you have never experienced the water rites of this Feast of Booths, you have never experienced joy. That's what a big deal that this feast was about. The water rites was when they would go to the pool of Siloam and they would pull water from that pool and they would take it into the altar and they would pour it over the altar, bringing to life Ezekiel 47 as water would flow from the temple and people would cheer and scream and dance. And it was a celebration for a week long. It involved eating and drinking and dancing. 
It was such an exciting celebration. It was the end of harvest. You brought in the last of the fruits from the trees and the vines. This is when that, that old vine, Zinfandel, was made. It was when the, the wine that was the most alcoholic was made. It was the celebration of the Jewish year. And it commemorated God's provision in the desert. The focus on this was on water and on light. And that's why I asked Elizabeth to go ahead and read in chapter 7, verse 37, when Jesus said, anyone who's thirsty, come to me. It was a big deal that he said that because focusing this holiday, this feast of booths, was this water rite. And then Jesus, in the verses that we read, stands up and says in front of everyone, I am the light of the world. Now the amazing thing is that we see in verse 37 of chapter 7 that Jesus did this on the last day, the great day of the feast. You see, the feast wasn't just one week long. It was one week and one day long. If you read in Leviticus 23, you read that the feast was actually eight days long. And this was the eighth day, the last day. This was the day where there was a solemn assembly and where people came and they prayed for rain for the next coming year. The eighth day is a big deal in the Old Testament. Did you know this? Did you know that the eighth day was the day when the priests who were newly consecrated priests began to serve in the temple? That's right. For seven days, they were consecrated, but not until the eighth day did they begin to serve. Did you know that when a male child was born in Israel, that they were circumcised on the eighth day specifically? For seven days they waited, but on the eighth day they were circumcised. And you children hear that and you go, there are not eight days in the week. There are only seven days in the week. Precisely. Jesus, who was raised from the dead, was raised not on the seventh day, but on the eighth day, the first day of the rest of creation. And it's on this eighth day that Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. And it's impossible not to hear God the Father say, the word of God say in Genesis 1, what? Let there be light. Jesus is proclaiming the new creation in this. And this day is filled with joy, just like the joy that we experience at Christmas when Jesus comes into the world. Not Christ is risen on Christmas, Christ is born on Christmas, right? Children, make sure you get that. This passage teaches us that there are four things that we need to know Four realities of life that we need to remember that the Pharisees didn't know in this passage. For us to be joyful followers of Jesus, the light of the world, there are four things that we need to know. And the good news is they come in pairs, all right? The central theme of our passage is that Jesus, the light of the world, illuminates the Father and simultaneously exposes the hearts of all humans I want you to read with me verses 12 and 13. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
Remember, in this festival of booths, every night, guess what? There were these massive pillars on which sat these huge vases, and these vases would have been filled with oil, and they would have been lit every night so that torches from the court of the women, so that everyone was involved, would have been lit and the sky would have been lit up, and the temple mount on which Jerusalem surrounded it would have been lit up, and the children who would otherwise know darkness at night would celebrate a night with light. And Jesus proclaims on that night, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it says that the Pharisees responded to him, you're bearing witness about yourself, they said. Your testimony is not true. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus says that he's the light of the world, and immediately somebody comes to him and says, that's not true. What's really interesting is that all of us come to the face of who Jesus is, and we all have to decide, is it true or is it not true? I want you to think about it like this. It is as if a rock is thrown into the middle of, of a creek, a river even, and the water has to flow on one side of that rock or the other. None of us in this room get away with asking the question or hearing that statement, I'm the light of the world, without having to go, I either believe it or I don't believe it. And here the Pharisee says, we don't believe it. The Pharisees looked at him and said, you're bearing witness about yourself, it's not true. And Jesus answered them and said, even if I do bear witness about myself, My testimony is true, and then here are the first two things we need to remember. He says, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. And notice what he says, but you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. One of the things for us to joyfully follow Jesus is that we need to remember where he came from and where he was going when he said this. Here's the good answer for you, or good good encouragement for you. Guess what? The answer is the same in both of these. You only have to remember one thing so far. Where did Jesus come from? From the Father. Where was he going? Guess what? To the Father. (laughs) That's good news for you. You don't have many things that you have to remember. Do you remember when Jesus first started his ministry? Do you remember that he quoted from from, um, Isaiah 61? And do you remember what he said? Listen to the words that Jesus said when he first started his ministry. Not from the New Testament, from the Old Testament. From the words that the Pharisees should have known. He said, the spirit of the Lord, of, uh, the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. For he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it goes on. Jesus has come from the Father. The Lord has sent him. And where is he going? All you have to do is turn to another passage in the Old Testament. This passage that is this kingly passage, this Davidic psalm, Psalm 110. And you see where he is going. Jesus quotes this passage himself to the Pharisees later on. He says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You see the picture also in Daniel 7. Jesus is going back to the Father. He came from the Father, and he's going back to the Father. 
And Jesus says to the Pharisees, the reason you don't believe I'm light is because you don't know where I've come from or where I'm going. You who claim to be followers of Christ, for you and I to joyfully follow Jesus, the light of the world, we need to remember that he came from the Father and he went back to the Father. Have you ever heard that passage in Isaiah 40 that the word of God never God's voice? and goes out and returns to him void, but always accomplishes the purposes for which it was sent. Do you know that passage out of Isaiah 40? It is also true with the word who became flesh. That Jesus left his father's throne above, as we sing, and he accomplished the purposes for which he was sent. And he returned to that very throne. That's why we read Hebrews 4, as Chris read in that confession. Because Jesus is sitting there at the throne room of God, and we have access to that very throne room because Jesus is there. The grace and the mercy to help us in our time of need. Raise that hand in your heart if you are in a time of need. Because you know where Jesus came from and where he went, you can joyfully follow Jesus there and receive the grace and the mercy that you need. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that we often, like these Pharisees, judge according to the flesh. Look at verse 15 of that passage with me. Let me see if I can turn back to it quickly. Verse 15, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Now look, you go, wait a minute, does Jesus judge or does he not judge? Because I'm pretty sure Paul says in Romans 8 that he judges. In fact, that he is the judge. And in fact, two chapters earlier, Jesus says that the Father has given all judgment to me. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is actually saying, I judge no one according to the flesh. That's what Jesus is saying there. Jesus is a judge. The very fact that he says, I'm the light of the world is judgment on you and me. Because we will either respond and say, yes, you are light of the world, or we'll respond and say, no, you're not. Right there, judgment has happened. Do you see how that works? Jesus says to the Pharisees, you don't see me because you judge me according to the flesh. What did they see about Jesus? Jesus was this upstart guy gathering people to himself from a place that no prophet in their mind would have ever come from a backward town with a southern accent worse than mine, I'm sure. And they thought to themselves, there's no way that this is the Messiah. But not only that, the flesh is considered in John is that which is at enmity, that which is an enemy of God. Hearts that are inclined not to believe God when he speaks, but hearts that were inclined to believe the lie of the serpent when he spoke in the garden and said, look, God is not for you. He doesn't love you, and he's not going to give you what you need. So here's the reality. If you have rejected the gospel, you have rejected Christ. But Christian, you and I often reject Christ too, when we choose to live according to another reality other than joy. It's hard to hear now that we're a solid two years into a pandemic. But I need to say it to you. 
Because you reject and I reject that Jesus came from the Father and has returned to the Father, when I allow anything other than joy to be the governing reality of my life, we need to hear this. First two things, where did he come from? Where is he going? The second two things come from verses 15 through 20. Who is Jesus and who is the Father? Right? Verse 15, he goes on to say that yet even if I do judge, which he's already told us in chapter 5 he is the judge, my judgment is true for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Do you see that? Two bearing witness about who Jesus is, the light of the world. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. We need, if we're going to follow Jesus joyfully, to know who Jesus is and who the father is. Jesus has just proclaimed, I am the light of the world. We have just had Christmas. What do we say And what do we read from Isaiah 9? We read this, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he was, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then if you continue to read in Isaiah 9, you get to the very famous Christmas verse, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Right? And the government shall be upon his shoulders. You you know the verse, right? This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the light that has come into the world. I got a Christmas movie for you. Are you ready? If you haven't seen your Christmas movie yet, it's not Elf and it's not Sing 2 because we looked last night and Sing 2's not out even though they said it was out. We couldn't find it. But this is your Christmas movie that you need to go watch. Jimmy Chin's The Rescue. Do you know who Jimmy Chin is? I'm a climber. Jimmy Chin is a climber, a skier, a, a phenomenal photographer. And with his wife, they did this documentary about the soccer team in Thailand that was trapped into the cave for over two weeks. Do you remember this? 2018, I think, something like that. You've got to go see this movie. It's phenomenal. I want you to think about the darkness that those children, after two weeks in a cave, experienced. And then at one point, and I couldn't say morning or afternoon because everybody's forgotten at that point, whether it's morning or afternoon or how many days have passed and nobody knows, but out of the water comes light. What would that have been like? Listen, the darkness and the gloom into which Jesus, the light of the world, shone was darker than that. Before Christ came, we were more desperate than that. You've got to watch this. It's an incredible movie. If you want to read about that darkness, turn to Isaiah 59, and you can read about the darkness. 
But it's not that just that Jesus comes as light, but it's also that he comes as judge. And you go, where do you see that? Well, it's another Christmas passage. Are you ready for it? Isaiah 11. It says this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And listen to this. This is the part that I want you to hear. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Listen. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. That's language that takes us straight back to the garden, straight back to the way Adam and Eve judged. They saw the tree, and they heard the temptation of Satan, and they said, you're right, God doesn't love us. He's not going to provide for us, so I'm going to reach out and get my own. But Jesus doesn't decide that way. How does he decide? How does he judge? But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The poor and the meek will be judged with righteousness and equity. When I heard Michael pray for the deacon's offering, I longed, I longed for the oppressed to be set free. And Jesus is the one who does that. Who is Jesus? He's the light of the world. Who is the Father? The Father is the one who sent Jesus. Jesus has said it over and over in this passage. He says, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. And then he talks about the law. And then he says in verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Is the Father. He is the Father who sent Jesus. Why did he send Jesus? You know this answer already. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. For he came into the world not to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. He proclaimed he was the light. And in so doing, he was saying, God is the Father and he is the provider. That's why Jesus said this statement at the festival of booths, at the feast of booths, where they celebrated God as the provider. But that's not all. Jesus, or the Father, is definitely the Father who provides. He is definitely the Father who has sent the Son, but He is also something else. Let me see if I can find Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. There we go. Zephaniah. He is not just the Father who sent the Son, He is not just the Father who provides. He's also the Father who leads in rejoicing. There was a command at the Festival of Booths. You know what the command at the Festival of Booths was? It wasn't be thankful. It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't obey. It wasn't any of those things. It was rejoice. And listen to how God himself is characterized 
He says, on that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. Jesus. Children. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And I'm going to read this line differently because I believe that this is what it says. He is quieted by his love for you. God's love is not adulterous. It never looks for another place to find its, 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 its focus. God's love is quieted for you. But then listen to what it says. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Our Father is the Father who rejoices at the sending of His Son. In this festival, they would sing the Psalms of Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And in Psalm 118, they would finish the song, and guess what it says? God has made His light shine upon us. And they had these massive torches that were in the sky. And in that context, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And what Jesus said to the Pharisees is, you don't know the Father. Because you have put the law before love, rather than love before the law, is what he tells them. So what's the result of living in light of these four realities? The result is to follow Jesus, the light of the world. It's no longer to walk in darkness, but to actually have the light of life. Do you want the light of life? Do you want that? Remember where Jesus came from and where he's going. Remember who Jesus is and who the Father is. And remember what he tells you in Psalm 23. Children, I want to ask you what starts with Psalm 23, but you already know it. The Lord is my shepherd. But listen to what it says in verse 4 about darkness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You guys, the reason the pandemic is so hard is because we're walking in the valley of the shadow of death, quite literally. And here we understand even greater the figurative shadow of death that we are quite literally in spiritually. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. What gives you courage to walk joyfully following Jesus? He's with you. Psalm 139, the last one I'll share with you. You've got to hear this. This is the word of God. This isn't going to come back void. It's going to accomplish the purposes for which God sent it. Psalm 139 just says it this very easily. And this is amazing. He says in Psalm 139, 11 and 12, he says, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as at light with you. This is exciting news. Do you know what this means? You do not have to light your own way. Children, ask your parents when the pandemic is going to be over. Guess what they're going to say to you? I do not know. 
I, am, I can't wait for this to be over. I don't know when it's going to be over. Ask your parents what you should do when you grow up. And there's one for you. I do not know. Ask your parents, is everything going to be okay in our lives? And your parents are going to look at you and go, I do not know. I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus is the light. Children, does the moon give off light? Does it? No, it doesn't. The moon reflects light. Jesus says to joyfully follow him means we no longer walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. What would choosing to live with joy look like? It would look like there actually being a foundation under you, even under your sorrow. Henry Nouwen is a Catholic priest, and he wrote this quote, Joyful persons do not necessarily make jokes. Laugh or even smile. They are not people with optimistic outlooks on life who always relativize the seriousness of a moment or an event. No. Joyful persons see with open eyes the hard reality of human existence and at the same time are not imprisoned by it. Who needs to be set free today? Joyfully follow Jesus. They have no illusion about the evil powers that roam around looking for someone to devour, but they also know that death has no final power. They suffer with those who suffer, yet they do not hold on to suffering. They point beyond it to an everlasting peace. Are you yet to believe that Jesus is the light of the world? This is who Jesus says he is. He's the light that illuminates the Father and exposes your own heart your own unbelief. Do you want to believe in who Jesus is? I want to challenge you with something. Ask him. Say, would you give me faith? If you're a Christian, I want to tell you today, I want to challenge you today. Choose to joyfully follow Jesus. You go, Bradley, is joy a choice? And I say to you, with all humility, joy is a choice. Whenever we're commanded to rejoice, to have joy, it is a choice of whether or not we obey or not. Happiness is not your choice. (laughs) Joy and happiness, not like this. Happiness does this, and a lot of times does this. You guys, joy is unique but it, because it changes the very nature of reality. And Christian, for you to choose to live according to that reality that Jesus Christ has come is to choose to live in the light, to live in the joy of a child who has come, a Savior who has saved, and a King who reigns in the midst of chaos. A king who is in the process of making everything new. You say, Bradley, I don't have enough courage or energy to choose joy. 
Jesus is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. It's where he went. And he is there to give you and to give me the grace and the mercy that we need. We're about to come to this table and eat. And as we do, this is where you pray, Jesus, strengthen me to choose joy. That I might joyfully follow you and reflect the radiance of life. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you know us, and we thank you that you know what we need. Father, we thank you that you have promised uh, to make yourself known to us, and you have said that your word never goes out and returns to you void, but always accomplishes the purposes for which it intended. Father, I have no idea the work that you're doing, but I pray for these women and men created in your image that they would be strengthened by your word and now by your sacrament to choose joy. Father, we thank you and praise you that you have not only taught us, but now that you feed us. And you feed us at the table where we remember why Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins.